Hey guys, we are Bad Moms in Business. I'm Bridget Robertson. I'm Amanda Sharp. And I'm Danielle Monahan. Today, we have a very special and exciting guest. We have Rita Miller with us. Rita, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on your very first podcast ever. Thank you very much. And I'm so appreciative for you all having me here today. We are thrilled. Yes. So today we are diving into the topic of finances Uh, and this I think kind of all started, Amanda, because you are the worst when it comes to tax season. Um, yes. <laughs> We're just going there. We just went all in. Listen, my tax lady gives me a firm talking to every single year. Um, so I'm working on it. <laughs> I don't mean the worst as far as like payments or anything like that. I just mean in general, tax time is the bane of your existence. It is. I stress about it the entire, entire year. Well, and just finances in general. I I just, I just hate them. And, you know, it's just something that I don't love. (laughs) So Rita, help me love finances. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you don't have a natural love for numbers and finance, that could be a little challenging. This is true. Let me give you a a little full disclosure. I love doing taxes and I love helping people with their finances, but I generally file my tax return on April 15th. Yeah. Oh, great. Interesting. I just, I love doing other people's. I do not like doing my own. So I understand when people don't like it and they put it off. Oh my goodness. That's so fantastic. <laughs> Doesn't that I make remember, you feel better? It does. Cause we were talking during tax season. It was a little extended this year and I was like, yeah, you know, I need to get an appointment. And Bridget was like, Amanda, you do realize like it was like, whatever, like, it was, like days, five days away. Yeah. yeah, it was. And I was like, um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, and it happened to be okay. And, you know, this year especially, it was much better than I had anticipated. So here I worried for like the first half of the year for nothing. So had I just done it, I wouldn't have had See, any of that worry in. I'm so the type of person that like the second I can get my taxes done, because I do worry about stuff like that, like I just want to get it done and over with. Like, let's just do it. As soon as I can get my taxes done, I'm going to do it. <sighs> I don't want to stress. Well, I'm excited for today's conversation because I feel like sometimes as women, we might not know the ins and outs of even our own personal finances. I think a lot of um, traditional households might, might take the stance that the husband is the one paying the bills. The husband is the one in charge of money, not in my house, but in not some houses. Either. Um, and so Rita, I'm wondering... If, if you, if you see that, that, that it is still even in 2021, is it more traditionally that the men are taking the role of being the, the main finance person of the household? Or are you seeing that the women are taking that, um, role over more? I see it as really mixed. Um, I would say with all the people I work with, it's about half and half. Okay. So I work with people with their taxes. So I see about half the women are the ones that I'm interacting with the most, getting their information and things like that. 
And then on the flip side, the financial coaching side, when I'm working with people, um, you know, on their money habits and things like that, it's also about 50-50. So about half the time, it's the women coming to me saying, I'm so frustrated, this just isn't working or whatever, we can't manage our money. And then about half the time, it's the husbands. So it just, yeah, I'd say it's pretty equal. Interesting. That's encouraging. So you, you mentioned the coaching aspect and that you also do taxes. So explain like the overall like picture of what your business as Rita Miller is. So that way we really understand the okay. depth of your expertise. All right. So I am a CPA and I'm self-employed um, and I have kind of a unique arrangement. So I do tax consulting for people as a contractor. I also do contract work for a firm in downtown Ann Arbor um, for taxes. So that's usually where I do most of my tax preparation. And then the other side of it is the financial coaching. And that's working with pretty much anybody, 18 up to, you know, I've worked with 70, 80 year olds um, mm-hmm. on just helping them figure out what the obstacles are in their life that are preventing them from getting to where they want to be in this dream life that they envision. Um, everybody seems to know what it takes to do well financially, right? It's just like dieting. You Mm -hmm. need to spend less money, um, maybe earn more, save more money, right? We all know that. But doing it, putting it into action, that's the trouble. Just like dieting, eat less, exercise more. And yet, many of us, most of us, we just can't do it on our own. So that's what I help people with. I love that analogy and the comparison to dieting and saving money or having, you know, financial health and overall, you know, physical health. That's, I had never really kind of put that together in the same lane like that. So I really enjoy that. I, it's why is it just so hard to do both well for me? (laughs) (laughs) I love to eat and I don't necessarily like, to me, money is not super important, but it's so important for the world. So Mm -hmm. help us or me. Rita. <laughs> it's hard because we all have habits that we've developed through an entire lifetime. Whatever it is, we are all unique. We all have these individual experiences, our upbringing, um, mm. our current income situation, uh, things that may have been not even within our control that's happened to us over our lifetime. And that all feeds into our habits, our behaviors, uh, you know, things we do, things we don't do. Um, just like anything else in our lives. Uh, And money is no exception. And then if you're married or in a relationship, now you've got two people with all of this background and history. And then you're trying to combine that and they come up with some kind of a unified front. Um, It's not easy. Mm -mm. Um, But part of the problem is in order to go forward, just like trying to lose weight or becoming more fit, you have to know where you want to go. And I think that's where a lot of people get stopped up. It's not enough to say, I want to be thin. It's not enough to say, I want to save enough for retirement. You need to really dig deep into that. Like, where do I want to go? What does that actually Mm. look like? So if I want to save for retirement, what is my retirement going to be? What, when I look in the future, what do I see my husband and I doing? Will we be relaxing? Will we be spending time with our grandkids? Will we be traveling? Um, what does our what do our actual days look like? And then you work backwards to figure out what it's going to take to support that. So when you have a vision of where you're going, and that's just one example, then you you work backwards to develop a plan, but also that 
vision or that why, and that kind of gets overused today, but really finding that why, that's the most important thing. If it's not, if that vision, that goal isn't super important to you and you don't feel passionate about that, then it's just so easy to say, eh, I can work on saving for retirement next year. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think one of the hazards in, in our industry personally is we can just work forever, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's, no necess- there's no retirement age. You just work until you drop dead. So... <laughs> I'm so sorry. No sugar coating. No sugar coating from Bridget. Screen got it. Whoa. I don't know what you, what you know, or don't know about us, but we're all real estate agents. So for, for us, there is no pension. There is no, you know, I might even, I might even say that that might go for our entire generation at this point as well. So, I mean, it doesn't even really matter what you do. Very few people are going to have a pension around our age. Right. But I'm just saying, you know, typically if you're, if you're working at a job, it's it's 30 years and out, 40 years and out, I'm 65 now and I can retire. But for us, it doesn't necessarily look that way. And for a lot of people, it doesn't look that way. But a lot of the time, personally, I'm looking down at retirement and I'm thinking, I don't know what that means for me, what it means for my husband who works a a more Mm. traditional job. But for, for me, I don't know. So I do like the thought of, you know, begin with the end in mind, right? Seven habits. But um, I think that that's a really good way to start and to figure out what you want your your life to look like in 50, 40, 30, however long. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think, do you believe that there should be a, a, a number that we should be striving towards? Ooh. Mm. You know, if I have X or, amount of dollars saved, my retirement is going to look the way I want it to. Or maybe is there like a formula or that we not. can all use since everybody's going to have different, you know, lifestyles and stuff like that. Is there a formula that we can apply to try to help us figure that out? Absolutely. I think you have to have a specific number in mind. Again, it's part of that narrowing down that vision and goals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that looks different for every single person. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as a calculation goes, there are so many online calculators. Um, they're all a little different though. So it's worth it if you go online and do that is to do maybe two, three, five of those. Okay. Because they all seem to come up with a little bit different of a number because there are a lot of assumptions with interest rates. So mm-hmm. in different factors, um, you know, some of them will ask, do you want to travel in the future? Um, but they might make assumptions mm-hmm. onto what that travel looks like expense wise. So everybody kind of comes up with a different thing. Um, a part of it is figuring out what lifestyle you want. That's going to determine the number. Everybody tends to think, well, I won't need much money in retirement. So I don't need as much if uh, let's say our household income is a hundred thousand dollars a year now, uh, you know, oh, we'll probably get by on forty or fifty thousand because we won't have this expense and we won't have that expense. Um, but that's not necessarily true. You really need to get down into the details of what that looks like. Because even if your house is paid off, you're going to have things like uh, property taxes. And I'm mm-hmm. sure some of you, you know, do you all live in Michigan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in Michigan, uh, we have pretty high property taxes. So even with a paid off home, or let's say you're in a condominium, you've got the property taxes, you've got HOA fees. That's all a significant part of the budget. Um, if you decide you want to do traveling or you want a second home somewhere uh, down Florida, 
that's going to cost more money. Mm -hmm. uh, those are just all really big factors. And then the other one that's uh, they keep talking about more, it's healthcare. At least yeah. we don't know where healthcare is going, but assuming it stays similar to the model we have now, it's going to be very, very expensive. That's potentially going to be as much or more than whatever mortgage payment you have now that you won't have later. We're going to work just to stay alive. <laughs> Yikes. I didn't even think about insurance. That was like the farthest thing from my mind when we started this conversation. Yeah. And if I just add to that, the idea which something I didn't realize until a couple of years ago is the idea of that 65, I'm on Medicare. Well, Medicare costs money too. Yeah. So when I see all my clients, how much is being deducted from their social security payments for Medicare, and then they add in the prescription coverage, which is not automatic. Mm -hmm. And then they add in the supplement, which almost everybody has to pay for. You know, before you know it, $400, $600, $800 a month, they're paying just for their insur insurance premiums in retirement. Mm, wow. Mm -mm. So I guess for someone such as myself, I don't want to, I, I know Bridget and Danielle and a lot of other people are buttoned up a little bit when you're <laughs> self-employed. <laughs> I mean, one of the last things you do is maybe to contribute to your retirement because it's something that you have to actively search out. It's not something mm -hmm. that your company just has it already situated that you just sign up for. It's one that you have to actually call somebody and get it situated. And that can be a very daunting task. So at, at what point are you not too old? <laughs> To be able to catch up if you get my drift. Amanda's saying, is 40 too old to start? Listen, I'm going to be 40 this month. I'm looking. You are never too old, except maybe when you're in your 80s and you're actually mm -hmm. retired. Then at that point, with the law, you can't really set aside money, um, at least in retirement accounts. Sure. But you're never really too old. So um, I'll give you a personal example, just that through a lot of life changes for me, I end up, ended up starting over in my 50s. Hmm. Um, I had been a professional for a number of years and then gave a lot of that up to stay home with my kids. I homeschooled my kids uh, hmm. for a long time, 15 years. Wow. And then in my 50s, you know, faced with starting over again. And again, you know, it's a, it's a catch-up situation, but it can be done. And I think, um, as I was thinking about some different things to talk about today, Kind of the number one thing for women that I'd like to impart is you have more control over your financial situation and your financial future than you think you do. Mm. I think we often tend to think that we're, I don't want to say victim, but we're just at the mercy of circumstances or, oh, we don't make as much money as a spouse or we haven't saved enough yet because we did take some time off to stay with the kids or I'm a single person, any of those things, but you actually do have a lot of control. Um, and a lot of it all comes back down to those habits and those actions, mm. behaviors and following a vision and working with somebody, whoever that is, you know, whether that's your spouse or a good friend or a financial advisor um, to come up with a plan, but you really can affect a lot of change in your financial life. It's not hopeless. Well, that's, that's now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is because I, I think even in this day and age, I think there are a lot of people who are married and feel like potentially they can't 
potentially leave a, a bad marriage because they'd be Ooh. starting over again. Um, I don't Great have enough. Point. Yeah, I don't have enough money to be able to get an apartment and get a lawyer. And you know, are you listening, Chris? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He always asks if he was discussed. Yep. There no. you were. There you were. <laughs> um, but I always, I always feel for women in those situations where they're tied to a marriage financially mm-hmm. uh, because they don't feel like there's a way out. And so I really love that piece of advice that you can start over, even if it may, means making really huge mm-hmm. sacrifices at the beginning, you can start over and you can be successful. Absolutely. And I've have a couple of clients and friends that have gone through a similar situation and they were truly in financial hardship, but they did take a very brave move to leave that marriage or that situation um, starting almost at ground zero. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing because I know at least one of them has now been able to be successful, restart a full-time career um, in her late fifties, purchase a house. Mm. And again, starting from zero, basically, and uh, and another client as well, kind of in the same thing in the process of buying a house and just rebuilding a life all later in life. Good for them. That and I, I feel like maybe I'm behind just because of various reasons, but I feel like there's going to be a lot of people starting over because I think in our industry, we've seen a lot of people out of desperation to get a house, maybe cash out on their retirement to be able to Mm -hmm. buy something cash because that's the only way that they can get an offer accepted. So I think this maybe is very timely because I think people, more people are going to be starting from scratch than maybe what we may imagine. Great point. Yeah. Mm. Well, I feel good to not be alone. And so like a person like me who, who I used to have a retirement, I, we did an episode that to become a stay at home mom, I cashed it all out and Mm -hmm. paid off a ton of debt. So that way, you know, we could afford for me to be a stay at home mom and now Owen's 14 and a half. So things look a little different, but you know, there's, I still want to be very present, which means, you know, I'm, I'm limited to what I can work just to keep the work-life balance, you know, well in line. So for someone like myself and many others, where can you at least start, even if it's very, very small? Um, well, a lot of it depends on your employment situation, right? So if you have a regular job with W-2 income, regular payroll, it's looking at first what's available through your employer. And, sure. and all that. Um, and there's kind of a certain pattern that you should be doing because we always go for whatever the employer is matching. That's always the premium. Yeah. You want to capitalize on that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but also there's just a lot for everybody out there as far as the Roth IRAs, uh, the regular IRAs, um, and especially kind of going back to this whole idea of being self-employed and this huge boom in the gig economy, there's so many people, all of us basically that are here on this call, um, but so many people out there that are doing this as side hustles or this is mm-hmm. their new primary income. Yeah. And people don't realize there are a lot of great tools out there to save an enormous amount of money for retirement when you are self-employed. Um, that being said, it is complicated. So you really need to be working with somebody that can give you good guidance in that area. And, and that could be a combination of all kinds of things. It could be an accountant, uh, could be in a financial advisor. You know, if you've got a brokerage account, 
and you're working with somebody, but any of those kind of people to start guiding you along, um, you know, with the tax implication and what's going to work best in your individual situation. And I saw, I mean, I feel like when I, I started recontributing to, you know, retirement and I since have stopped because for the little bit that I was able to contribute each month, which was, you know, not very much. It actually, at the end of the day, when I was looking at my statements, I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm losing money because there's there's a fee to handle it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I actually was hurting my own self. I could have put it in a savings account and actually made more money, even at a very little interest because of the hand, like the shipping and handling fees <laughs> of, of that account. So I, I, there must be a sweet spot that it has to be actually worth it. Um, to, to put in a certain value. And if not, if you can't find that, that say $200 a month to make it worth it, what is a backup that would allow you to maybe make some money, but not have those fees that basically take away any momentum that you have? Well, I think the actual answer to the question is finding the right vehicles that don't have those kinds of fees. Mm. So I think maybe it could be in your situation that there were better options, um, same kind of investments or same kind of funds, but maybe just wherever you were at, um, the fees were just too high because that really shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, unless well, it, was, it was two different companies too really? um, at the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, it was like, a, I would, let's be honest, I, we air our dirty laundry all the time, but it was only a hundred dollars a month, but I'm like, Hey, it's something. And so at the end of the day, you know, it was $1,200 a year and truly like it wasn't even a matter of the market doing poorly. It was a matter of the fees were just more than, and I go, oh my gosh, I seriously could have made more money just an interest in a savings account. Mm, So I suppose I do maybe just need to do a little bit more digging and, and find a product that doesn't, isn't as steep. And I can't even say it was a steep handling fee. It just wasn't, if the market isn't great and you're not getting a ton of gain, mm-hmm. it, it's not even helping off, off balance the, the fees to have that account open. And of course, I mean, I expect people to get paid for handling my money. I mean, oh, it's not like I want it to be done for free, but that's, that's the part that you can go. That's really discouraging when you're trying to just do a little and you just go, man, it's not getting me anywhere. It's actually making me lose money, but not because of the market. Mm. Yeah, I think you could find that if you looked around or could work with somebody, maybe a different financial person, different financial advisor, that they might be able to find you some better products. Um, You know, there are just so many out there uh, as far as no load, uh, heavy front load mutual funds, things like that. And so sometimes people, when they're doing these huge upfront fee mutual funds, that's what happens in the first couple of years. Um, so that can be really hard. And so I also see the marketplaces shifting away from that because people are becoming more aware of this. Oh my gosh, I put my money in. Mm-hmm. I'm not getting anything and I've lost money. This is ridiculous. And in the meantime, whoever's handling my money, they're making a profit. Yeah, they're going I on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't want anyone to work for free, but I go, well, I guess I should be putting that money in stock myself and just rolling the dice because mm-hmm. at least the shares are the shares. <laughs> Which is also why there's such a proliferation of people using uh, places like Schwab and Vanguard, Fidelity, mm-hmm. Robinhood trading apps and things like yep, that. I got on there. Did you? I'm a, I'm not addicted because it's not like I have like a lot of pennies to spare, but it's really fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling not that person. But you know what, I'm Rita? This person. is the thing. Like 
that's giving me a little taste of what it's like to like money. Hmm. Because Whatever works fun. for you. So this, that could be the tool that I needed to go, oh my gosh, maybe saving money can be fun. It can be more of like a game. Interesting. Well, I dig it then. I'm just a mess, Rita. <laughs> but there are, and there are other little yeah. things like that. They call that, you know, the gamification of money. It kind of is, right? Because you yeah. get the kind of thrill of being able to easily put a few dollars here and there and trade and, you know, you win win or your investment goes up five bucks, it just, it feels really good. Yeah, and it yeah. also, it's an incentive to continue. It becomes mm-hmm. like a game. Um, but there are also other apps. I know some stores have it, some financial apps have it where every time you buy, like it'll round up your purchase to the nearest dollar and then yep. take that remaining change and put it Ooh, in. I've heard of that before. Yeah, I used to have one. It was called like Acorns or something. Isn't that Ashton Kutcher's? Doesn't he like own that? I don't know. I don't know. He owns that. Um, I used to use it. And yeah, if you spent a dollar fifty, it would take that other fifty cents and and stow it away for you. In Um, what? Like a bank account? In some sort of yeah account Mm -hmm. that you could eventually have access to once once you had a certain amount of money. I haven't used it in years um, because when we switched banks my, my bank didn't Mm. play nice with that app, but, um, yeah, it was fun while it lasted. So what I think to recap, what we've talked about so far is as far as retirement goes, have a plan, know what your life is, what you want your life to look like in your, in your retirement. And from there you can decide how much money you need to be saving in order to hit that financial goal. Did I, did I, Yep. And it's also never too late. And it's never too late. Yeah. Never too late. And I'll add something on here um, that's not really popular, but in order to make that happen, generally speaking, you've got to give something else up. Yeah. 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 And so that was actually going to be my my next question. If we're talking about things like getting out of debt in order to be able to save, Mm. how do you feel about Dave Ramsey? Ooh. <laughs> I feel like I interesting. My, this I is have a my good own one. opinion of him. And I was just curious what yours was. And I I'd share mine first if that would make you more comfortable. <laughs> no, honestly, it it doesn't matter. Um, so I am a big proponent of the Dave Ramsey method. Okay. Hands down, I am. And largely because following his method changed my life. Oh, interesting. It did. So I was first exposed to Dave Ramsey. Well, back actually, my kids were, they were taking a finance class and they kept coming home and saying, oh my gosh, mom, you need to watch this. This guy's hilarious. And they were learning so much. And I just, you know, I'm an accountant. I don't need that. I just ignored that. I don't need to hear anything. And a little later on, I don't know, a couple of years later, I was really getting deep into budgeting because I'm thinking we're just not getting any traction. Mm -hmm. And I had the usual, you know, we had credit card debt, car loans, home equity loan, the whole shebang, but decent income. And when I really sat down and went through the numbers, I realized we were burning through about a thousand to $1,100 a month above our income, our inflow every month, which was just horrifying to see. And so that's when I kind of got on board. I bought his book 
And I just put it into action right away. I mean, I mean, I was selling stuff on, at that time, Craigslist. I was putting the money in a little jar. I was taking the jar down to the credit union every Saturday to put money on my car loans and things like that. And boom, we ended up being debt-free and wow. paying can everything I, off. Can I ask how long it took you to become debt-free? Um, that took about, about a year. Wow. Wow. Not including the house. The house came later. For sure. Sure. But all the rest of the debt. Yeah, about a year. Good for you. That's incredible. So I used Dave Ramsey as well. Not nearly, nearly to the T like you're supposed to. Because I found for myself, the reason I the reason I struggle with Dave Ramsey is his whole rule is like you don't go out to dinner if you have a credit card bill due. You don't go to, you don't spend on anything extra. And for me, I'm like, well, that's no fun. I can't go to dinner. I want to have fun. <laughs> so I, I wish that there was a way to say you, you, that you could have both. I totally understand that you're not going to get out of debt by overspending and paying off credit card bills. I get that. But is there a way to find a happy balance where you're continuing to snowball your debt and paying it off, but maybe you're going to a movie once a month or going to dinner once a month versus maybe you're doing that, that once or twice a week right now. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there's some give and take or some play there? Well, there can be, I think it's really just based on your pain points. Mm -hmm. So where are you at financially? You know, for some people, their back is against the wall. They can barely pay their just normal living expenses. The Dave Ramsey calls it the four walls, you know, transportation, you know, your utilities, food, shelter, kind of a thing, you know, and then that's really all they're doing. So for people like that who have a lot of debt, this is serious business. So a lot of this advice is towards that, that you have no business going out and spending $50 on a dinner at Applebee's when you can barely make the minimum payments on your credit card. Absolutely. Great point. So now that being said, for people who aren't in that situation, kind of the rest of a middle, middle America like us, mm-hmm. right? Um, the pain point is how long do you want to have financial stress? How mm. long do you want to have these debts? You know, um, I talk to, I work with a lot of people with student loan debt, right? That's kind of the big buzzword right now. Everyone's talking mm-hmm. about student loan debt. You know, and I have clients, they owe 50, 70, 100, $150,000 in student loans. I even have retired people who owe <sighs> student loans still. Oh my gosh. So when you look at, let's say, credit card debt or student loan debt, and let's say the payment is $800 a month for the next 10 to 20 years, that's horrible, right? That's an extreme pain point. Now you could go get a side job, side hustle and work really hard. And it's going to be extremely difficult for the next two to three years so that you can bring in enough money so that you can put $3,000 a month on that student loan and not go out to eat, for example. That's gonna be horrible. It's gonna be a very uncomfortable three years. What's worse? doing that kind of pull the bandaid off hard work for three years or paying $800 a month for 20 years. Mm, Wow. It's so true. And Rita and I, how we met was with Jeff Mm -hmm. at his, at his um, coaching thing that he Oh yeah. Yes. 
And it was the biggest takeaway from that particular, you know, uh, summit was choose your hard. Choose your hard. Working like crazy to pay off debt is hard, but so is having debt. That's hard. Which hard is worse? And then choose choose the route that you want to go. So I think that's super, super great advice, Rita. Um, that, yeah, it's, it's short-term pain, but for overall gain. And not everyone's in the position to do that, but if you are. And that's where I, I really enjoy Dave Ramsey. I think mm-hmm. he his, his heart is in the right place for trying to get people to be fi- financially very independent. And his, his whole thing is, what is it, with gazelle-like intensity? And that's what he's meaning by it. It's like, you know what? Do what you got to do to get out of debt like right now. But I worry that it also sometimes oversteps on other very, very important things that aren't necessarily money related. So that's I that's my thoughts on Dave Ramsey. I think to Bridget's point, I think there's a way to marry both worlds. You know, just stop putting credit card debt is the first step, right? Mm-hmm. And while it might take four years to pay it down, it's not going to get any worse. So if you can stop it, I think that's at least a good place to start. But that doesn't make you wealthy. So that's why we have Rita here. (laughs) Yeah. How do I get rich quick, Rita? (laughs) That's why you're you're really here, Rita. (laughs) Secrets. Three side jobs, side hustles. all (laughs) Right. Don't sleep. Just work. You know, I'd also like to go back to the idea of you know, paying off debt is hard, but paying or having debt is hard. I think for most of us, though, it's beyond having debt. What we're really saying when we have debt and why this even comes up is financial stress and insecurity. I mean, isn't that really the root of it? It's, yeah, I've got debt. And if you have debt and it doesn't bother you and it doesn't stress you out, you probably don't have a strong why to pay it off. It's that stress and that insecurity is what's driving people to make the change. True. So when you're saying choose the hard, you're also comparing the hardness of paying off the debt to the emotional feelings mm-hmm. of what you're dealing with when it's hard to pay bills or when you and your spouse are working so hard mm-hmm. and you feel like you don't have anything to show for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I want to go back to when you were speaking to your coaching, you said that you had people as young as 18 that Mm -hmm. you help. Give us an idea of what that looks like. Because Owen, like I said, is 14 and a half. He's getting near that. And I really do want him to have, and I believe he has a pretty strong foundation as far as what money should look like, what it looks like, the power of money and all of that type of stuff. What are some tips that we can maybe start sharing with our children to just kind of give them a really good foundation, especially someone who's well on his way to 18. Yeah. Well, I think it's uh, probably two main things. One, what are their financial habits right now? So let's say they're 17, 18, 19, you know, either due to, you know, their upbringing or what you've imparted with them. Do they have good habits to start with or do they have habits they need to work on? So that's kind of the first level is, making sure they've got good habits and practices and kind of a vision of how to manage their money going forward. Um, And then part of that is that just like for all of us that are older, that visioning process. So for them, it's not so much retirement, but it's envisioning, well, what are they planning on doing for school? Where do they see themselves at age 25 or 30? 
where do they see themselves in relationships? Are they thinking they probably want to get married, you know, in the first 10 years or not? And it's all changeable, right? We know when we're kids, nothing ever turns out like we plan. We all have I'm going to go to school and I'm going to learn this and this is what I'll do till I die. And that hardly ever happens. Right. Um, but at least, again, having that vision gives you some direction and a strong motivation. A why is motivation. I like that. And, things. and then for people in that age range, the big one, it's education and student loans and paying for mm -hmm. college. And, you know, and obviously that is also in conjunction with parents usually for um, sure. figuring that out and how to sometimes compromise um, as best as you can make it the best of all worlds, getting the right education, or the appropriate education and for an appropriate price. Mm -hmm. And then figuring out the best ways to fund that and preferably without debt because it can be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because as a society, we just, we, at least what you hear in the media is that, you know, we must have all the student loan debt and um, we're all kind of victims of the system. And that could be a little bit true. But again, going back to the, you have more control over your future, your financial future than you think you do. Mm. Um, and as as far as savings go with somebody that age, is there a percent, a rule of thumb that, you know, you make X amount, this percent should go to savings and then the rest is just whatever? There is and there isn't. So I think having some kind of a plan in place is the best way. And that, that's a lifelong habit that will take you forever. And that'll be a good foundational habit for wherever you are. Um, it's really up to you as far as percentage. I have seen so many different models from different finance gurus, you know, Susie Orman and all these mm -hmm. that I don't know if one is better than another, but something, right? I've heard of people I doing like third. I've heard of people doing thirds. A third you spend, a third you save, um, you know, a third you go to charity. Some people are, you know, 10% to charity or cause, at least when you're a kid. Um, you know, 60% towards savings and then 30% for spending. Um, I think part of that's just, you know, your own personal values, your family, you know, mm -hmm. those priorities, what's important to you. Well, and I would think too, what your income is, because for some people hearing 60% you save, they're like, we don't have 60% to save. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about, Rita? 60%? My bills are over that. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm talking mostly for the kids. For, the, for sure. Yeah. For sure. For 15 years old, you don't have a lot of expenses. And yeah. I yeah. think left to your own devices, especially when you're a kid, wow, you get that first paycheck and you get that, you know, $160 pay. There's a temptation to spend it all on something that's probably going to be gone in a day, you know, yeah, going out or some kind of entertainment or food. Um, so always having at least some kind of a percentage that is just non-negotiable. Mm. Mm. I really want to implement that now. You know what I mean? If it's, mm -hmm. if it's he's really good. And the thing is like, he just kind of naturally saves, especially now because he doesn't, what is he supposed to spend it on? He's coming out of a year of like, we didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. So it kind of was natural this past year because out of necessity almost just because there wasn't a, a really a place besides some online gaming stuff, but moving forward, I, I think that's, it's good that it's just your plan, but have a plan. I think mm -hmm. that's easily put. I like it. Something I wanted to kind of go back to also um, this idea of having control over the money 
um, that it's so often, actually almost all the time, except for people who truly have little to no income, it's not the money, it's the behavior and habits. I've got clients who make in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and they cannot pay their bills. Mm. Oh. And I have had people, singles and couples, young couples who are below the poverty line, raising children who have no debt and build their savings month by month. Wow. And That's it, amazing. It's amazing. It tends, to sure. be, it tends to be more of an issue when there is a high income um, that is harder to develop really good financial habits and, uh, and build wealth because there's just always this inflow of cash. So no matter what you do, um, no matter how much you overspend one month or you blew the budget or anything like that, there's always this giant paycheck coming in the next month. So mm -hmm. that sense of urgency to change the habits, it's just not there. And it makes it really difficult. That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Wow. Rita, you've been so wonderful and given us so much to think about. I guess I'm going to go crack open my Dave Ramsey book because I got two cars I'd like to pay off. <laughs> <sighs> As I sip my Starbucks. <laughs> we'll give a shout out for one thing. If you want motivation, even besides reading the book, is go on to YouTube or even Dave Ramsey podcasts. Um, almost every day they have debt-free screams. Mm -hmm. With those. Yep. If anything will be motivating, it's that. These people come on and it's incredible. They might have $150,000 worth of credit card and student loans and whatnot. And some of the people come on there and they've got household incomes of, you know, $60,000 and they pay it off in three years mm. just to see that gazelle intensity and to see what people can really do when they have that strong motivation. Um, I, I recommend my clients always watch a couple of these, you know, I send them mm -hmm. links because just to spark that motivation and just so that people can yeah. know it is not hopeless. Like yeah. You really can do it. No matter where you're at, you can make this better and improve your financial life. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Powerful. Very. So Rita, where can everyone find you um, if they wanted to reach out to you after hearing you on this podcast? Uh, well, we have a couple ways, old school email and website. So uh, my email is Rita at RitaMillerCPA.com. Very easy. And my website is the same, RitaMillerCPA.com. Okay. Um, I'm also on Facebook. So you can find me at Rita Miller Financial Coaching on Facebook. Um, but yeah, just uh, especially reach out over through the website or uh, an email and pretty much anybody who wants to talk to me, I automatically give a complimentary consultation. And we basically sit down just like this for about a half hour, talk about your situation and just see what looks best, like what makes most sense for you moving forward and what kind of a plan would really help you get exactly to where you want to go. Mm. Excellent. I love that it's looking into the future and kind of going backwards. I think that just makes a lot of sense. It does. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, Rita, thank you so much for joining us today. You have been so insightful. I mean, never been on a podcast before. Knocked it out of the park. Killed it. 
<laughs> we appreciate you so, so much. And again, we'll have all of your information in our show notes for anybody who would like to reach out to you directly. Um, and I think, do we have a B this week? Anybody? Um, oh no, I don't know. I don't know. Um, um I feel like it's, I want to say like, it's never too late to start, but I can't condense that into a be something, <laughs> but be not afraid to start later in life. <laughs> be, be not afraid. <laughs> Sounds like a Bible like, verse. I, That's perfect. Here. <laughs> be not afraid. <laughs> Oh there my. you have it. Be not afraid. I love All it. Right, I'm writing it down, guys. I'm writing it down. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Bad Moms in Business, and we will see you next week. Bye, Bye guys. Everyone. Bye. <laughs>